bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik. This is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 19, 2016. As all of you know, Yesterday, for most states, was Tax Day. But do you know why Tax Day was April 18th for most states this year instead of the usual April 15th deadline? The reason is Emancipation Day, an official public holiday celebrated in Washington, D.C. Emancipation Day is a legal holiday that commemorates the end of slavery in Washington, D.C. through the D.C. Compensated Emancipation Act of 1862. The holiday usually falls on April 16th, unless April 16th falls on a Saturday, which it did this year, and in those cases, Emancipation Day is observed the previous day, April 15th. That's why Tax Day was moved April 18th for most states, and most individuals got an extra three days to file their income tax returns this year. Now, why have I said tax filing day was April 18th for most states? Well, Maine and Massachusetts observed the state public holiday, Patriot's Day, which fell on Monday this year. Since Patriot's Day is a legal holiday in both states, the tax filing deadline is moved forward one day. As such, for our Maine and Massachusetts podcast listeners, we wish you a happy tax day today. Turning now to our podcast this week, we'll start off with a brief look at today's presidential primary races in New York. Then, I'll discuss a recent hearing on tax reform proposals and how they could affect key tax credit programs. In affordable housing news, I'll have a brief note on today's markup of the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and Related Agencies Appropriations Act for Fiscal Year 2017. Then, I'll share how you can calculate low-income housing tax credit rent and income limits for every metropolitan statistical area in the country for free. After that, I'll talk about which state is temporarily suspending its consumption-based utility allowance for low-income housing tax credit properties. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I'll have a preview of an upcoming New Markets Tax Credit market report that will debut in next month's issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. I also have some breaking news in the New Market Tax Credit area. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll talk about an Illinois bill that would extend the state historic tax credit sunset five years until 2022. And we'll close that with Renewable Energy Tax Credit News, where we'll talk about the status of a potential vehicle for renewable energy investment tax credits to be extended for certain clean energy technologies. I'll also discuss a new report on how renewable energy production tax credits have helped increase wind energy jobs across the country. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, Today's a big day for presidential candidates. New York State will hold both its GOP and Democratic races. For the Republicans, 95 delegates are at stake, some of which are awarded on a statewide basis, but the substantial majority are awarded by each congressional district. For the Democrats, 
there are 247 delegates, all awarded proportionally. Hillary Clinton has a big lead in the polls over Bernie Sanders and is widely expected to win the state, a state that she represented in the United States Senate. Donald Trump has an even larger lead over his Republican rivals, and he is expected to win as well. It appears that the central question for Trump is whether he'll win statewide by more than 50%, such that he would win all the delegates awarded statewide. Similarly, for each congressional district that he, or any other candidate, wins by more than 50%, they'll receive all three delegates. Otherwise, the leading candidate in a congressional district receives two delegates, and the runner-up receives one. Follow me on Twitter for the latest updates. In other news, the House Subcommittee on Tax Policy last week held a hearing on legislative proposals for reforming the current income tax system. One witness was Representative Bob Goodlatte, a Republican from Virginia. Goodlatte introduced the Tax Code Termination Act that would sunset the current tax system by the end of 2019. The reason for that sunset is to force Congress to act to reform the tax code. Now, Representative Roger Williams, a Republican from Texas, also testified. Williams introduced a package of proposals that would lower the corporate tax rate to 20% and make bonus depreciation permanent at a 100% expensing level. Another witness at the hearing was Thomas Bartol, the Chief of Staff of the Joint Committee on Taxation. Now, the subcommittee's chairman, Charles Rustani, and ranking member Richard Neal asked Bartol to explore key considerations in broad-based tax reform. More specifically, they asked Bartold to review the Tax Reform Act of, of 2014 for the kinds of choices that can be made in fundamental income tax reform. Now, you may recall the Tax Reform Act of 2014 never became law, but it was introduced by former Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp in the 113th Congress. Now, the Tax Reform Act of 2014 would have retained the long-term tax credit with a modest, approximate 5% increase in 9% allocations. However, it eliminated tax of bonds and contained other harmful provisions. The Tax Reform Act of 2014 also would have repealed the historic tax credit and renewable energy tax credits and was silent on the new markets tax credit. Now, obviously, the Tax Reform Act of 2014 is no longer an active piece of legislation. But the fact that subcommittee leaders asked the Joint Committee on Taxation, or JCT, to re-examine the proposal is telling. Considering that 2016 is an election year, it's unlikely that these or any other tax reform bills will gain much traction until the year 2017 or later. Still, these discussions can be significant to the extent that they affect the direction of the longer tax reform effort. And that's because changing one part of the tax code can have unintended and sometimes compounded effects on other parts of the tax code. An example of this? Reduced marginal tax rates combined with extended depreciation lives can greatly reduce the tax benefits of long-term tax credit investments because the value of depreciation expense deductions would be reduced. Now, this is according to a report by us here at Novogratian Company on the possible effects of corporate tax reform on low compensating tax credit equity. The report found that the reduced value of depreciation expense for 9% credit investments would lead to an estimated loss 
of between $348 million and $619 million in investor equity. And losing that amount of equity means losing from 2,700 to 5,700 apartments a year or more. Now, the same would happen for 4% taxes and bond investments. The, the Novograd report found that lower corporate tax rates and longer depreciation periods can reduce 4% tax and bond equity by $167 to $244 million or more. Combined, these proposals could cause upwards of a billion dollars of tax or equity to be lost. Now, the bottom line is that lawmakers must be careful when making changes to the tax code and understand the derivative consequences. I would also note that the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, Kevin Brady, did announce at a Chamber of Commerce speech last week that he did intend to release a broad framework for tax reform in June. So as we've been saying for many years now regarding tax reform, stay tuned. In affordable housing news, I have a quick update from the Senate Appropriations, Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and Related Agencies, or THUD, subcommittee. The subcommittee is scheduled to mark up the THUD Appropriations Act for fiscal year 2017 today. Now, last week, the Senate Appropriations Committee approved the fiscal year 2017 THUD 302B allocation. The 302B allocation provides the total amount of funding available for transportation and HUD programs. The THUD subcommittee received $56.47 billion for transportation HUD programs. Now, that amount is $1.13 billion less than last year's allocation. This could obviously put pressure on total HUD funding. Now, I'm going to have more details for you in next week's podcast, as well as on my notes from Novogratic blog. In local housing tax credit news, I'm happy to announce that the beta version of the Novogratic Rent and Income Limit Calculator has been updated. The calculator now includes the fiscal year 2016 rent and income limit data that HUD released March 28th. The free tool will calculate low-income housing tax credit rent and income limits for every metropolitan statistical area in the country. And you can access it at www.novaco.com. Also, there's an enhanced version available that allows users to save property-specific data such as rent floor elections, AMGI percentages, and place and service dates. This is an ideal way to make the information easily accessible for an in-house compliance team, as well as to provide reports to property owners and management. To learn more about the new rent and income limits or the enhanced rent and income limit calculator, please contact my partner, Thomas Stagg, in our Metro Seattle office. In state-level news, the Ohio Housing Finance Agency, or OFA, will temporarily suspend the use of a consumption-based utility allowance for low-income housing tax credit developments. OFA said it would take this opportunity to explore using a model or complementary approaches. OFA's goal is to ensure that its processes are inherently efficient and effective for the affordable housing industry. Ohio's utility allowance policy has been in effect since 2009 to assist owners with two main objectives. First, the policy rewards owners who develop energy-efficient properties with lower utility costs. And second, it helps to ensure that tax credit communities are sustainable and viable by allowing additional cash flow due to savings from the utility allowance. Effective July 1st, 
new requests for a consumption-based utility allowance will not be accepted. Those seeking the OFA-approved consumption-based utility allowance will need to use another method as outlined in the policy. Owners who requested a consumption-based allowance before July 1st are exempt from this suspension. Now, the reason for the policy suspension was a recent audit. OFA's internal audit office audited the Office of Program Compliance over its current utility allowance policy. Now, auditors found no evidence of noncompliance, but auditors did recommend exploring and potentially implementing a consumption-based utility allowance model. My partner, Renee Beaver, said this new model would allow Ohio property owners to take into account current or impending rate changes versus relying on past consumption. Portfolios have been using consumption-based analysis to reflect a much truer picture of utility allowance usage for allowance purposes. This consumption-based approach has enabled portfolios to maintain affordable but viable rents. However, in a number of markets, moving away from the consumption-based option could cause rents to be pushed down to levels that would compromise often already tight cash flow and directly affect a development's financial feasibility. In NMTC breaking news, the City of Fife announced yesterday that the current new market tax rate round will be a combination of two $3.5 billion allocation amounts. That's two years worth of allocation, or $7.0 billion in total. Now, this $7 billion is $2 billion more than the original NOAA-authorized amount of $5 billion. We'll have much more detail in next week's podcast. In community development news, I also want to share a preview of the New Market Tax Credit Update Report that's going to be published in the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits next month. Now, it's been four months since the federal New Market Tax Credit got a five-year extension, and these effects are already being felt. Several industry insiders told the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits that December's extension allows the New Market Tax Credit community to focus more on long-term goals. They say that the extension allows them to look more closely at improving the program and making it permanent. During recent years, of course, a lot of the industry's focus was on getting Congress to extend the program, which it often did for short periods of time. The insiders, including several major investors, also talked about the demand for tax credits, the pricing, and what the outlook is during the coming months and years. Look for the New Markets Tax Credit Update article in the May issue of the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. In historic tax credit news, a bill was recently introduced to extend Illinois' River Edge Historic Tax Credit Program. The program provides a 25% credit for the restoration or preservation of an historic structure located in a River Edge redevelopment zone. State-designated River Edge redevelopment zones are areas adjacent to rivers in Illinois that are in need of environmental and economic redevelopment. The state designation makes them eligible for certain tax credits and deductions. Properties can be eligible for the River Edge Historic Tax Credit Program if two things happen. First, rehabilitation expenditures must equal or exceed $5,000. And second, rehabilitation expenses must exceed 50% of the purchase price of the property. Illinois House Bill 3566 would extend the program for five years, sunsetting on January 1, 2022, as opposed to the current sunset of January 1, 2017. The bill also notes that if the amount of the credit exceeds the tax liability for the year, 
then the excess may be carried forward and applied to the tax liability of the five taxable years following the excess credit year. Taxpayers who are eligible to claim the credit may transfer all or any portion of the credit to any individual or entity within one year of when the credit is awarded. However, the tax credit may not be transferred more than once. Now, the bill would become effective immediately upon the governor's signature. House Bill 3566 has been re-referred to the House Rules Committee. To read the bill, go to www.historictaxcredits.com. And if you have any questions about the bill, feel free to reach out to my partner, Tom Bosha, in our Cleveland, Ohio office. In renewable energy tax credit news, supporters of some clean energy technologies experienced a setback last week when efforts were dropped to include those technologies in legislation to reauthorize the Federal Aviation Administration. Supporters had hoped that renewables that were not included in December's legislation to extend the investment tax credit would be added to the FAA bill. The credits for those technologies now face a December 2016 expiration date. Senator John Thune, a Republican from South Dakota, who is the chairman of the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee, said it just got, quote, too complicated, end quote, to figure out the specifics. Just too complicated. Thune said FAA reauthorization bills have generally been free of unrelated provisions. Now, the technologies that supporters were hoping to add to the bill included fuel cells, small wind projects, geothermal heat pumps, and other renewable energy sources. As I mentioned in this podcast, there is a difference of opinion as to why those technologies were left out of the extender's bill last December. Democrats in Congress said it was an oversight, but not everyone agrees. In recent weeks, Republicans have been lobbied by a group of 34 conservative organizations that oppose the extensions. Republican leaders have been reluctant to say why the provisions were left out or whether they consider it a drafting error. Whatever the reason for omitting those technologies from the extender's bill, the fact remains they still face a December 2016 expiration date. It's unclear how supporters of the renewables will work to get the provisions extended. My colleague Peter Lawrence in our Washington office said the best chance to extend the credit for those technologies before the end of this year was the FAA reauthorization bill which is a must-pass piece of legislation. I should say must-pass piece of tax legislation. He notes there's some talk of having a year-end tax extenders bill, as Congress has done in the past. But since Congress made some of the most prominent extenders permanent in last year's tax, year-end tax bill, there isn't the same urgency to have an extenders bill at the end of this year. In other news, Wind power supported a record number of jobs at the start of this year. This, according to a report issued last week by the American Wind Energy Association, or AWEA. The report said that 88,000 Americans had jobs in the wind industry as of January. That's a 20% increase over the previous year. Wind also was the leading source of new generating capacity last year. Of course, this report comes after the five-year extension of the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit in December. The production tax credit was extended retroactively to 2015 with a gradual phase-down. The wind production tax credit will drop 20% per year starting in 2017, and the credit will expire in January 2020. Thanks in part to the tax credit extension, AWEA says that wind is on track to meet 
the Department of Energy's goal of supplying 20% of U.S. electricity by the year 2030. The report predicts the workforce for wind may grow to 380,000 jobs by that time, four times the size it is now. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, wind turbine technician is the fastest growing profession in the United States. There are nearly 9,000 wind turbine technicians in the nation today. Wind industry job figures are up across the nation. Now, can you guess which state has the most commanding lead? I'm sure many of you correctly guessed that Texas has the most wind energy employees by far, 24,000. And which state is second? Oklahoma, with 7,000 employees in wind power. With $128 billion in new wind project investment over the past decade, the industry remains healthy and strong. And the report, which you can buy at www.awea.org, www.awea.org, is further evidence that shows why the production tax credit is not only good for the environment, it's also good for the economy. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. I invite you to join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. Also, there's still time to sign up for the Novogratic QAP Fundamentals and Hot Topic webinar that will happen next Thursday, April 28th at 1 p.m. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time. The webinar will focus on how qualified allocation plans are addressing four increasingly important topics. What are they? Preservation, opportunity areas, revitalization, and supportive housing. Don't miss out. Sign up today at www.novaco.com. That's it for now. This is Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.